Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcast. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. So it is, uh, it's a special thing. I don't know if the Pauls noticed, since there's kind of four of us that get to take turns preaching. It's special when you get to preach on Baby Dedication Day, because the house gets packed. So we got more people here. So sorry about that, Pauls. Also, my printer apparently printed out an extra sheet of paper, so I don't know. I don't, you can pass that back. Maybe God wants someone to take notes because <laughs> it was just randomly in the middle of my sermon notes for some reason. Um, so this morning, I have a one-point message, just one point. Now, I know, I mean, I went to Bible college. They train you there, and, and we have preaching classes, legit classes, to talk, teach you how to preach, and you have to practice in front of your classmates. And they always talk about a solid three-point sermon is what everybody should have. Today, I'm just giving you one. So when you go home, you better remember just the one point. That's all you got to do. Just one thing needs to stick in your mind. Um, I do want to thank you for coming today. Uh, it is honestly, I feel like a true privilege for me to get to have my chance to come and bring God's word to you guys. So for me, growing up, I was a pastor's kid. I did local church ministry for several years, and now I work in the schools. And I did always have my chance to preach, but without mentioning the name of Jesus. And so it is incredibly special for me to get to have moments like this. And I appreciate you trusting me to bring you God's word. A couple days ago, I saw the movie Jesus Revolution. Have you guys seen that? Yes, that was, um, if you haven't seen it, you definitely need to go see it. Uh, I do believe... That sort of revival is coming for us right now in this time. Um, I, we've been, as a church, we've been praying for revival for a couple of years now. Since pre-COVID, we started praying for revival actively, and I think that it is coming, and I would just encourage you to go ahead and see that movie. Um, so for the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through Philippians, and about two months ago, at one point, I felt like God put it on my heart, this idea of what robs you of your joy. That's my one point. I'm going to have the answer for you. The one thing that robs you of your joy. Now, if you're like me, you go home and pick apart the sermon. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> but <clears throat> when, we, when we leave after church, a lot of times Jen and I will have discussions and there's certain things that like, you know, oh, I really never thought of it from that way or whatever. And we have different thoughts. And you may think, Tony, you're way off. You should have definitely had more than one point because there's more than one thing that robs me of my joy. Uh, I'm going to try today to convince you that there really is just one thing that robs you of your joy. So you ready for that one point? Okay, before we get there, let's review a little bit. So let's look at Philippians. If you can go ahead and give me the next slide. The theme of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's chapter 4, verse 4. Um, when God gave me this idea, I feel... Uh, I believe God gave me this idea, and it was right before we started this series. I came to church the next Sunday, and we were starting Philippians, and I was like, oh my goodness. Philippians is entirely about joy. Throughout the whole book, he gives us great instruction, but everything comes down to rejoice in the Lord always. He talks about things that he's been through and how he still rejoices. He was in prison when he wrote it, but yet he still rejoices. So the theme of the book is rejoice in the Lord always, and there's some important people that he mentions. The first person he mentions is Timothy. Timothy was like his partner in ministry. Timothy was the guy that was there for him, and at one point he says, 
uh, I hope to send Timothy to you to minister to you as he has been doing for me. Uh, the next people that are mentioned in it, not quite as exciting, Yodia, Yodia and Syntyche. I'm, I know, I think Paul pronounced it different. I don't know how to really pronounce it. Uh, but these ladies, what is your deal? Can you imagine you get into an argument at your church and for 2,000 years everybody reads about it? <laughs> I'm like, my goodness, these poor ladies, <laughs> whatever they were arguing about, I'm sure at one point they're like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing he put us in his letter. Um, because clearly they were both godly women. They're both trying to serve the Lord, but they had some sort of disagreement, such so much that Paul, who's giving them all this great instruction, has to say, and by the way, Yodia, Syntyche, you guys need to stop disagreeing. And then he calls out to the rest of the church, everybody there, try to help these ladies kind of fix it between themselves. And then he goes to the next person and he mentions Clement. And so he says, and I put here no idea why he's mentioned, uh, because when he, he says Yodia and Syntyche, the, you know, they're, they have the disagreement, and then you guys help them out, and also help Clement. And I'm like, is Clement just like the one guy in church that everybody kind of knows that, yeah, we need to help that guy out? <laughs> I don't, we, we have no idea. Honestly, I looked it up when I, was, when I was preparing, and I was like, there isn't any other mention of him. And that's actually what it even said in my note. Uh, in the Bible, I've got a study Bible that says, Clement is not mentioned anywhere else. So I'm assuming he's someone in Philippi that needed, uh, needed some, I don't know, support at least from them in the church. So again, let's consider the theme. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So I'm going to remind you again, this is really just a one-point message. One point. That's all you got to remember. So when you're sitting at lunch, and you get, I was going to say Chick-fil-A. You can't go to Chick-fil-A today. Uh, when you're sitting at Freddy's, you're just going to think about that one point. You and your friends or family are going to talk about that. Um, if we're really going to always rejoice, we have to know what is robbing us of our joy so that we can prevent it. It gives us a place of, of knowledge and power to be able to prevent our joy being stolen from us. Some people might think that it is worries. That's not the answer to the question. Worry is not the thing that robs you of your joy. My dad is like a walking, breathing Xanax. My whole life, my dad told me over and over again, don't worry. Don't worry about things. Seriously, that was like a mantra for me. And I mean, I wasn't like a big worrier growing up. You know, I'm a middle child. What do we worry about? Um, <clears throat> but I, I was like, actually, I was a baby, I guess, really. Technically, I'm the baby. Uh, we adopted a sister who, she came later, but she was six months older, so I'm still technically the baby. So maybe that's why I don't worry, because I was the baby in the family. Um, but I wasn't a big worrier, but my dad used to all the time talk about how worrying does us no good. Um, I remember he used to use statistics. I'm sure he looked them up. You know, 99% or 95% of the things you worry about are never going to come true. Um, <clears throat> and honestly... I don't know the exact data on it, but I would say the sentiment is right. The majority of the things that I would worry about, they don't come true. I can sit at home and I can be worried that this is not going to work out at my job, or I can be worried about my kids and choices that they're going to make. And a lot of times, it's not something that I need to actually worry about because it's not going to happen. So worrying is, is definitely something that can mess us up, uh, but... 
it's not something that's actually going to rob us of our joy. Let's look at the scripture. I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to bear with me here. I'm going to read all 10 of these verses because honestly, I feel like this is one of the most solid, applicable sections of the, of the um, well, scripture, but of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You could even say, uh, by worrying, can you make yourself taller? Like when I was in high school, I was a basketball player. I was probably about 80 pounds lighter than I am right now. I could jump a lot higher, but boy, I wanted to be tall. I'm 6'1", I was like, ooh, what would I give to be like 6'5"? I was 6'5", you know. And, but I could worry about things, but that's not going to make me taller. It's not going to make me faster. It's not going to make me stronger. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Oh, we're, that's, the, that's back at the beginning. My bad. Uh, so there we go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Next one, please. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and this is the best part, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that last verse has a lot of poetry to it. I really have always enjoyed that, that each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, but that second half of verse 32, the Father knows that you need those things. Now, I was always told <clears throat> as a pastor's kid growing up in the church that we still pray and present our requests to God. I always still was taught, you know, God knows what we need, but we still tell him. And that makes sense. It's just like talking to my dad. I tell my dad that I really need Nike Air Force Ones. Or at least that's what I now hear as a dad. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I tell my dad things that I need, but my dad would then still know that, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of what you need. I never went to school my entire life without a pair of shoes. I may not have had Nike Air Force, but I did have shoes at all times. <clears throat> all right, so God knows what we need and he will provide. When we worry, there are zero benefits and tremendous costs. When we worry, it costs us a lot in our health. It can cost us sleep. It can cost us time. It can, it can affect our joy, but it's not the one thing that robs it from us. And the benefits of it are nil. I mean, literally, I know like Jennifer and I have talked about it at times in life. At certain times, you know, when you, you interview for a new job, you just start to think in your mind, well, I'm not going to get the job. I'm not going to get it. I mean, I, I interview, I think, went okay, but I'm just going to prepare myself. I'm not going to get it. And we, we take that back seat, that kind of mentality of let me prepare for the worst. 
Let me worry about this. Let me just say I'm not going to get it that way. I don't get heartbroken if I don't get the job. Where in reality, that does you no good. Because you're instead just feeling heartbroken early before they call you to tell you whether or not you got the job. All right. So still, that's not my one point. But there is only one. So what robs you of your joy? Well, it's not worries. It's also not the things you want. There are things in life that we want. And sometimes our wants can impact, it seems like, our happiness or our excitement. Can you go ahead and put up that next slide for me here? When I was uh, about my son's age, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, I loved the show Voltron. Now, I'm 50. I don't know if there's anybody else in here my age that remembers Voltron when you were little. Voltron was the five lion robots that could come together as one big gigantic robot, that guy. And he had like a blazing sword and stuff. And I wanted one so bad, so bad. And my parents took me to the swap meet and we found a lion bot, as you might notice it says on the box. Doesn't say Voltron. <laughs> but they found the lion bot. I want to say it was like around 20 bucks. And we took that home. And I remember I was so excited. I opened it up. I played with it for like almost two whole days before I was really bored with it. And I realized this is a piece of junk. And not because it's a lion bot, but because it doesn't really bring me any satisfaction or excitement or joy. And so it's like I kind of came to realize that even though this seemed like treasure, it actually became garbage to me. Now, I do wish that I had it. It would be fun. It would have been way fun to have that like, out here today and everything. But um, <clears throat> the, the thing that seemed like it was going to bring me a lot of happiness instead just ended up being just a piece of junk. And in Philippians, he addresses that idea. Philippians 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So our wants can sometimes mess us up. Have you guys seen my car? Raise your hand if you've seen my car, if you've noticed what I drive. Don knows. Don's driven my car. Don, when I was out of town, he drove over to my house, picked my car up, took it to his house and fixed it, and then took it back to my house. <laughs> it's great service. You guys need to get Don's number. Um, <clears throat> My car is a 2006 Scion XB, the little box. Um, I bought it for my wife when we first moved here. I was very excited. It's this cute little car. It's got the little chrome wheels on it. I think we paid about 13000 for it back then. And so you can imagine a car that was worth only 13000 when we bought it. And now here we are like 16, 17 years later, and it's still going but it is a hunk of junk. Two of the windows don't roll up or down. Um, it was three about a month ago, but then Don helped me with that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so this, do I want a new car? Yes. I would love to have a new car. I don't need anything fancy. I don't really care, but I'm like, yeah, I would, I would like to have a new car. But is that new car going to bring me any joy or satisfaction? No. And as a matter of fact, my kids often, they make fun of me for it. They're like, Dad, you need to get a new car. It is the kind of thing where, you know, kids are embarrassed when parents drop them off because they don't want their parents, you know, near their friends. It's, but for me, it's not just me. It's also the car. It's like, Dad, drop me off back here. Drop me off back here. Dad, slow down. Slow, drop me off back here. 
um, <clears throat> because that car is, is kind of junky. But honestly, I've told them the reason that I drive this car is, number one, it still works, and there's no payment on it, and I can use the money that I would spend on a new car to do other things, and it gives me freedom. It gives me some financial freedom to be able to do more things with our family, um, to do more things with the house or go to baseball games and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> this verse, though, I found interesting because it helps. It actually says everything is garbage to knowing Christ. So you think about the most special memory in your life, the most special moments that you've treasured. I've got four special ones, four that top everything else. Of course, my wedding. Uh, it was interesting yesterday at Isaac's wedding. I felt like I could, I could uh, empathize with him a little bit. They got into position. The wrong song started to play. And they're like, mm. And then they had to, they had to you know, kind of get the, get it lined up to the right song. Uh, when, at my wedding, ours was, I tried to make ours really fun, as you might imagine. <laughs> Much to my wife's uh, patience and chagrin, uh, the, the, the bridesmaids came in to walk in on sunshine because I wanted it to be a fun, I wanted it to feel like a celebration. And so as they're walking in, you know, it's all upbeat and everything, and they get in position, and, and I'm already up there, and I've got all my groomsmen now. They went and met the girls halfway or whatever, and so now I'm up there, and then the doors are closed. My wife is just on the other side, my bride, my wife-to-be. And as they open the door, and it's supposed to be the beautiful piano music of Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring, instead it was the of Walking on Sunshine again. So right as the doors open and I see my bride, they play that song. And Jen will never let me forget that in that moment, I go... <laughs> So, yes, everyone knew the wrong song played, but, and it is true, it is 100% my fault. Uh, I, should have, I should have at least recognized the beauty of my bride more so than the music, but it did very much irritate me. But that, when she came down, her dad gave her to me. We had, um, my, our uncle was filming the wedding. It was just, it was a great special day for us, obviously. That day, though, is garbage compared to knowing Christ. I loved the line in the movie. I mean, you guys, most of you guys have seen it. It sounds like uh, with the Jesus Revolution, he, when he tells his, his girlfriend, he goes, the day you come in between me and God, it's done for us. I never made any kind of statement like that to Jen, but both of us have had the conversation that we know that we're both second. God's first. But it's kind of hard to put my wedding and the word garbage in the same sentence. But that's how it is. The other three days for me are each one of these kids gotcha days. Ye yesterday was Ellie's. Uh, 13 years ago, yesterday was when we adopted Ellie. Uh, she became Ellie, Anna, Israel, Madison, Gardner. And Ellie, Anna means God answered my prayers. And Jen found that. Oh, now she's embarrassed. Sorry, babe. <laughs> uh, Jen found that, that word. Oh, so when we couldn't have kids at first, you know, of course, then it becomes like it's a trial. It's a, it's a journey for us to become parents. And so then... We're pouring over names, and Jen found Eliana. God answered to my prayers, and we just thought that was perfect. And so um, yesterday was, was totally fun for us. We had a lot of fun yesterday celebrating. It's like a birthday for our kids. I feel bad for their husbands-to-be or their bride-to-be when they become adults because they're used to two birthdays a year. Their actual birthday, which we didn't get to be there for, but their gotcha day, which is ours, and so they're going to have to buck up and get used to that. Um, <clears throat> but... 
I can remember, I can, I can visually remember in my brain each of their three court hearings and going through the process to change their name, to change their identity to being a gardener. And those are special, special days. But those days are trash compared to knowing Jesus. Honestly, Jesus really is the only thing. When we sing songs, I don't know about you guys, um, I got to word this carefully because I don't mean it to sound wrong. There are some songs that are written that are all about the name of Jesus, but then they don't say the name of Jesus very much. You know, they talk about the power of his name and these kinds of things. But when, like today, we were singing that song, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. We're just getting to sing his name a lot. Those are the ones that get me because then we're actually singing that power, not about that name. Um, there is nothing that compares to knowing Jesus. So if we can uh, grasp that idea that everything else is garbage compared to knowing Jesus, then our wants are not a problem when it comes to our joy. So you guys ready for the one point? <laughs> Let me see where I'm at here. Oh, yeah. So back to my one point. That's what I had at the bottom of that one. So the one thing that robs you of your joy, I'm really going to give it to you this time. The one thing that I believe that robs any of us and all of us of our joy is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations, whether large or small, that's what really will rob you of your joy at every turn. Even in the idea of worry, what are you worried about typically? You're worried that your expectations won't be met. Unmet expectations are the best way for us to attack this idea of our joy being robbed. Um, great example. It's a random Tuesday. I get home at 4.30. I've got the kids. I'm, I've spent a whole day, you know, suspending kids, searching bags, whatever it is I got to do. And then I get home, and I just want to chill. I sit down. I put on some sports center or something. And then uh, the kids are home usually making a mess or having a snack or something. There's dishes all over the counter. Jen gets home half an hour, hour later, because she works harder than me. And then she gets home and she's like, why are there dishes all over the place? Meanwhile, I'm sitting on the couch, eating my chips, drinking a Pepsi, watching SportsCenter. And I was like, I don't know, they're not my dishes. <clears throat> and she has some expectation that, hey, you could help out a little bit instead of just coming home and ignoring any mess. You could actually help out and clean those dishes. And so back in, before we had kids, I would say I was better at it. I used to surprise her lots of times and try to do like big thorough cleaning sometimes so that when she'd come home, she could just smell the, the cleanliness in the house from the cleaners. <laughs> and now that we've had kids, those days are few and far between. Um, it's usually she comes home and, and they're there. Um, there are other big expectations that we sometimes have. Uh, didn't get that job. I interviewed for a job. I knew I was the person for the job. People told me I was a front runner for the job, but somehow I didn't get that job. What? My joy's gone when I encounter that. Uh, I don't want to keep going back to the same well all the time, but another big one is one that Jennifer and I went through with you, the doctor sitting across the desk from us saying, you guys are never going to have kids. Big shot to our expectations. And when we went through that, there was all kinds of people in our church, uh, this church, that meant good and at our school as well and different places that they meant well. You know, God has different plans for you. Or they would tell us a story about their friend that, 
yeah, the doctor said that, but then they had a miracle baby or whatever. And we just had expectations that we would just go through life like normal. And at the time, it robs you of your joy when you don't get to have what you think is normal. But there is a great answer for that. Um, I want to bring you back to my favorite verse. So this verse is like, for me, it's like, you know, seven steps to Kevin Bacon. It's three steps to this verse. I'm preaching a sermon on joy. I'm going to bring up this verse. And we know, not that we think or we hope, but we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. In all things, we know it. You didn't get that job, so what? You couldn't biologically have children, so what? We know it, that God works for good in every situation. So if we can try to work as a people to somewhat control our expectations, how joyful are we going to be? That's going to set us apart from anyone. I mean, we've had people, Jennifer and I have gone through it before, we've had people that talked about it back before we adopted our three beautiful kids that talked about how is it you guys are still, you know, you still seem happy people and whatnot. And there was just this sense that we know that God's going to do something. And so when I was disappointed that I didn't get to have a normal path to parenthood, now I have an extraordinary story, three of them. And I can't imagine loving any biological kid. I mean, mine would have had red hair and freckles and been non-athletic. No offense. No offense if you have red hair or freckles or you're non-athletic. But that's what... <laughs> but I'm like, these kids are amazing. And they know, I mean, I, they know that they're, in a sense, spoiled with that. Because I tell, we talk about their stories all the time. It's extraordinary. So I got to go from being disappointed that I didn't have regular to now being rewarded with extraordinary because I know that God works all things for good. So I'm going to give you a little summary. I put up my summary, and this is in Tony. This is the Tony's version. <laughs> so these are the verses somewhat. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't worry about things you need. God knows you need them, and he will provide. Remember that everything is garbage compared to knowing Christ. And on top of that, you know Christ. So all that stuff that might have been important to you, and we've all, I mean, everyone in here kind of understands the concept that's garbage now. Don't forget that second little part. It's all garbage compared to knowing Christ, but all of you know Christ. That's the blessing. God will work everything in your life for good, no matter what you go through. So let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. All right, I'm done. Band, come on up. <laughs> I know, I should have. I, <laughs> I know I should have just given, given a, a, you know, the, the cue, but people, I just think we, we can be set apart. The Bible says that God's love is how we'll be known. But honestly, too, a part of that, I believe if we can be a people that has joy in every circumstance, people are going to notice that. Yeah. People at my school have commented before that, you know, when I'm going through different crap in life or whatever, or a lot of things that Jen goes through, that, I know I said crap. When I'm going through stuff in life, um, 
that people, people see it and they're like, they can recognize that I still have the joy of God in my heart. And if you, if all of us become those kinds of people, we are going to be magnetic for others. And they're going to want to know how, they're going to want to know why we're that way. And then the answer is in that one name that I love to sing, Jesus. Amen.